Welcome to Strategy International, a podcast produced by PodMTL that brings you insightful conversations with experts from all over the world on topics related to international relations and policy, security, defense, environment, and much more. And now, your host, George Santrizos. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Strategy International uh, podcast. If this is your first time here, Strategy International is a global think tank and consulting group that brings together great minds from all over the world that analyze, uh, discuss, and consult on matters of global interest like international policy, uh, international relations, strategy and defense, uh, technology, environment, uh, the economy, and much, much more. Speaking of great minds, we have another great episode today. We have Dr. Nicolina Lepava that is with us. She's a department chair of management uh, in the College of Business and Administration at the American University in the Emirates. Uh, she's a senior marketing professional with extensive industry uh, and academic experience all over the world. Uh, and she specializes in human technology interaction. Uh, Nicolina, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you for inviting me. I know that you're a very busy uh, person and uh, the fact that you take even, you know, just this uh, short amount of time uh, to be with us and to share your knowledge with all viewers and listeners uh, is is highly appreciated. Um, I was I, I was going through, uh, you know, the different uh, material uh, that, you know, I usually go through the different process that I go through to research the different guests. Obviously, we don't know each other personally. Uh, and while I'm doing this, I realize that there is technology now that has replaced the way that we have been brought up to look for information and to research and everything. And I, I just found that uh, interesting how, you know, you're the guest today and I was going through all this material uh, and I thought, my goodness, there's so much more now. We've advanced so much uh, that this could be, you know, instead of taking a day or two to prepare, it takes literally half an hour or 40 minutes. Uh, and we're going to get to that because we're going to talk about uh, uh, AI and how that has completely uh, taken over the last couple of years. Before that, I just want to pick your brain a little bit. How did you become interested in, in, you know, this human and technology interaction? What was it that got you um, that got you interested in that? Well, that was really, really long time ago, <laughs> around 20 years ago, actually. It's not, this interest is not, not recent. I think it stems from my um, original degree and uh, my first degree was biology, actually, natural sciences. So I was always interested in, in some, some, some of those aspects. And then after that, I finished psychology. Uh, what I was working uh, at the same time uh, was in marketing uh, at that time. I'm talking about around 2000. Everything was starting. Internet was starting. Digital, digital marketing was just developing. At one point, I kind of, you know, notice this overlap uh, between psychology, biology, um, digital technologies, and uh, how all of them are intertwined. So uh, how we behave, how we interact, how we per perceive, you know, cognitively, uh, what we see and how we interact with, with technology. So my first step toward uh, this area of research was actually where I was more involved in the psychology uh, and working at University of Windsor in Canada. And at that time, I was a member of the Computer Mediated Communication Research Group. 
where we were uh, doing some really, at that time, you know, kind of groundbreaking research. Uh, at that time, there was only Facebook. I mean, that was the main thing. So we were looking at, you know, how the students are using Facebook, what are those social networks, uh, how they behave, how this is different uh, from, um, you know, it, it was the first time that something like this really, really big showed up. And we realized that uh, this is something that's going to grow. And at the same time, uh, while in many cases, you know, um, depending on the um, discipline you're in, depending on what you're working on, you focus on different things. But what always kept my interest, even later on, when I, in my academic life, I'm, I, I'm more focused on marketing and applications in marketing. Again, we're dealing with consumer behavior, but uh, it's how we interact with technology and how technology at the same time impacts us our life, our work, our personal life, the way we think, the way we behave, and then how we, this can be applied in the different areas of business and uh, everyday work. It, it, it's fascinating. And, and before we continue, I just want to remind everyone that for any information, of course, there's strategyinternational.org where you can uh, learn more about Strategy International, the people that uh, that contribute and the different um uh, editorials that are up there, uh, uh, among which we have uh, a lot to do on the matter that we're discussing. Um, and uh, obviously, they can follow you. I, I followed the, your um, your editorial on um, uh, on LinkedIn. So we're going to put all those links in the description for everyone that's interesting uh, that's Thank interested uh, to follow you. You know, I, I had taken a couple of marketing classes back when I was in college. So we're talking about probably over 20 years ago, right? Uh, and uh, I was thinking about how marketing specifically, because that's your specialization, has evolved so much to the point where people that were either working or studying in marketing over 20 years ago, it's probably probably become a whole other uh, industry, a whole other uh, course. I mean, it's yes. not even the same thing. We're not even talking about marketing. Uh, and I was just interested to, to to get your point of view on that, on how technology has impacted, especially marketing. Uh, of course, like you mentioned, it's been it's being used in every field, um, but specifically in your area of specialization in marketing. You know, take us through this. You know this development, how it used to be before twenty years ago, and what it is now, and the impact it's brought on uh, on accessing markets all over the world because of these uh, these advancements in technology. Definitely, uh, marketing was really, really heavily impacted by technology, and as you said, marketing what it was twenty, thirty years ago, it's not the same. Some principles will stay. But uh, the core thing is changed because what we had, what we were seeing before, you know, as we call it in marketing, like push marketing, meaning that I'm showing you advertisement on TV, you you do have no way to interact. You have no way to show some of your pre preferences. There is no personalization, no things that we are seeing now. This is something that is traditional marketing. And uh, this is uh, something that completely changed First with internet, then globalization, as you said uh, before, uh, everything that was happening 25 to 30 years ago, the process actually started with the development of World Wide Web and with the uh, possibility for the genuine, you know, the normal people to access internet. Internet has been here for a long time. 
but it was, you know, for the privilege and it was really completely not user friendly. It mm -hmm. was, you know, like this thing, like the, this DOS prompt that comes out I, <laughs> before I remember, it did I yeah. all the versions <laughs> of, of uh, Windows. It was that you had to actually type, you had to, you know, you had to have some uh, technical knowledge. And it was, the, you know, the, the uh, privilege of some people who were really, really trying to do that with the development of the World Wide Web back in 1996, five, whatever. Uh, uh, what happened is that actually internet uh, became available for everyone. You know, the regular people, people without any technical background, they were able now to see what's there. And at that time, this internet was, you know, like, um, um, how to say, you know, a uh, digital newspaper. It was not interactive. It's this what we what we call Web 1.0. Mm -hmm. And at that time, without this interactivity, I mean, you were able you kind of to place the banner or something. You, I think, remember the time of back in 1990s, end of 1990s, with those crazy website with all these colorful banners and, yeah. and terrible design. Yeah. <laughs> Especially music that goes in the background when you yeah. open something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was at that time. And then what were the major things, the major points that had happened? And this is after 2000 is when you gain some interaction. This interaction did not start from social media. Social media came later, but what we had first, we had uh, discussion forums. And right. this is something that has been really, really very popular back in 2000 to 2006, five. They died on later after uh, after the this popularity and everything that happened with social media. But that was the first thing. Then the second thing, the second really, really uh, like main milestone was development of blogs, meaning that now to create your own content, you did not need an advanced technical skills. For me, back in 2000, 2001, to create uh, a basic website, I had to use a dream viewer. Mm. Uh, it's something it was it was kind of basic coding and uh, but you had to have at least some technical skills with the development of the blog of the automated uh, user friendly system uh, the uh, reach the potential for everyone to create their own content and then to interact with this content uh, became really available for everyone then later on after the social media i think that more or less everyone know what happened. And uh, aside from social media, another thing that was also like the uh, major thing and major milestone was uh, the smartphone. Mm. Because with smartphone, we actually gained, uh, you know, first this mobility, availability of all these different uh, content of different networks, of different uh, things that we can do uh, uh, daily. And at the other hand, we became available daily for many things and for contact and for communication. And uh, nowadays, you know, I think we cannot live without our mobile phones. So to go back after this historical overview, what happened with marketing? Marketing by its nature needs to follow consumers. So marketing is dependent on what people do. When there are major shifts in what people do, how they behave, how they interact, this is where marketing has to say, okay, come on, I need to find a way to reach them. And this is something that we saw as a generation gap at that time. Now it's kind of narrowing down. But at that time, we have something that uh, uh, what's called it that way. We have, uh, you know, uh, digital immigrants and digital natives. Digital immigrants was 
us, older generation, we were not, uh, you know, born with the internet. We were not born with technology, with everything that was there. We had to learn. And then you had digital natives uh, who were, especially now, the latest digital, the full digital natives is uh, Generation Z, starting from 2000. They really don't know how the life was before internet. So if you would like to use some of the old-fashioned marketing strategies to reach them, it would not work. Mm-hmm. So you have to adjust. So marketing, this is, I'm, I think, one thing that uh, if there is one thing that I'm repeating all over again, especially for my students, you know, how it is with students. I tell them, you know, uh, your learning will never be over if you're in marketing. You need to learn all your life to stay competitive, to stay on the top of everything that is going on. Because uh, technology, society, everything is changing profoundly. 50 years ago, even 30 years ago, you were not able to imagine. Remember the old big computers back in 1916, the 60s, the room full of computers could not do what one phone can do now. That's right. So the change is huge. The change is profound. And those changes are taking shorter and shorter time to take place. Why? Because uh, those uh, development, the, the, those uh, time needed to develop the new, how we call it, like disruptive technology, something that is new, something that changes things, something that changed the way how we work, how we behave, how we interact. As I mentioned, was there at one point blog or World Wide Web and then blogs and then social networks and then, uh, you know, uh, mobile phone, all those things are happening and then marketing needs to adjust. I was and marketeers, t- marketeers, actually, I mean, marketing is a discipline, mm-hmm. <laughs> to say plainly. We marketeers, we need to adjust and we need to learn and learn and learn all our lives. I was going to say that before you mentioned it, because, I mean, I lived that transition where Internet didn't you know? exist and then it came and it felt like it, you know, it followed some sort of, uh, you, you know, a progressing rhythm okay it, it it didn't happen all you know over uh, over one or two days but it seems as though the last maybe five to eight years things are happening at such an accelerated pace it's exponential growth uh, and i remember despite everything that we just mentioned right i mean the internet and then social media and then you know facebook being the first one or the main more you know more popular one than all these other apps that came following that and then suddenly there was this thing called augmented reality, which kind of, you know, shocked everyone. It was like this new chapter now that we were going into and nobody understood it. Nobody knew exactly what the the, the future would be after this. I mean, because technologically it's this enormous advancement. Right. And, 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 and I know uh, that it's been used or uh, it's probably still used, but when it first started, how it, w- it was used mostly for marketing purposes, where you're walking down the store and you're scanning, uh, you know, different food items or whatever, and you're getting descriptions on your phone. I mean, this is fascinating stuff. Uh, definitely. And when it comes to augmented marketing, uh, the most interesting thing uh, there is what was the major thing that made uh, augmented marketing very popular was Pokemon Go. I remember. remember people mm-hmm. chasing Pokemons 
and uh, getting hurt in the process, many of them, <laughs> all around the world. So that was one major thing because, you know, technology is there. And then you have those early adopters, you know, kind of computer geeks, and they know everything about. But unless, you know, the majority and, the uh, you know, common people, the people who are not really technologically that savvy, we are all now at some, uh, at some level. Yeah, to some but, degree, uh, yeah. Yes, but until we have this kind of a wide pop popularity, we cannot say that some technology is really, really ad ad adopted. What happened with uh, uh, AR is that uh, actually the Pokemon Go was one of the things that really, really initiated everything. And after that, many uh, other, many companies started applying it uh, more or less successfully. <laughs> and then uh, I think for augmented reality, what happened was uh, that uh, uh, it was in a kind of a really, really steady, you know, growth. And then coronavirus happened. Mm. And augmented reality uh, requests you to be present, to be there. So uh, you can see that like majority of really, I don't know, best augmented so, uh, reality solutions, they were created somewhere between, you know, 2016, 2019 to 20. So there was some break at a time. And now we are all obsessed with AI and uh, metaverse and other things. So we are less focused on, on augmented reality. Even though I really uh, uh, like some uh, solutions, especially in marketing, applications can be really, really uh, amazing and offer a lot of uh, interesting options and interesting things for uh, consumers to be you know, engage to be uh, entertained, to be uh, to to do something, to create some apps, to create some things where uh, uh, your customers will actually interact with your company, with your brand in a little bit different way. You, uh, you know, I mentioned your LinkedIn page, and again, just want to um, invite our the people listening to, to to visit your your LinkedIn page where you have your editorials, and there's one particular where you you discuss generative AI. Um, what is that? What's generative AI? How is it different from all other forms of artificial intelligence? Um, give us a little bit uh, of an understanding. So um, generative AI is like, you know, the buzzword nowadays. <laughs> Obviously, everyone are talking about it. Uh, it's an, as its name says, it's an uh, um, artificial intelligence, which is able to generate content based on the text instructions. So those text instructions are called prompts. Mm -hmm. So we write a prompt, for example, from my favorite, uh, you know, visual tool, Midjourney. I create, I put slash imagine, and then I write a prompt. Imagine, I don't know, like a, some world uh, where, I don't know, some, uh, someone is, uh, people are sitting and playing chess and there are two dogs there, whatever. You, you just provide the textual description and then you can also assign uh, what style uh, it, it should look I don't know like uh, Ruben's uh, picture or something you just provide as many guides and guidelines as you can it can generate images it can generate uh, of course text I mean chat GPT <laughs> no need to explain I think everyone are uh, talking about it nowadays uh, it can generate textual content it can generate video content. It can help you improve the existing content. Uh, you can ask them, okay, I want to create uh, in marketing applications are really, really uh, huge potential for, for application. 
uh, it can help you create, for example, social media campaign and content for social media campaign in a very, very fast, efficient way. Because instead of spending, I don't know, hours creating uh, narratives, creating uh, visuals and content, you can write prompts and it can be uh, several options will be generated. Then you can work on those options, adjust them, but it would speed up the process. It would make it more efficient and uh, it would make it more cost, le less costly, actually, uh, in, 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 in some in, in uh, some way. For sure. You know, there are some experts. I'm thinking of Elon Musk, for example, who came out and uh, and said that we need to slow down. This is going way too quickly. It's advancing way too fast. And from an ethical perspective, you know, the, the, there must be consequences, especially I mean, <clears throat> sorry, I, I work mostly in the political field and that's pretty much what I follow. Um, and, you know, uh Maybe a year ago or two years ago, we started seeing these deep fakes, right? Where you had uh, people's faces uh, uh, in different contexts, and then you had the speech where it could mimic the, the the voice. So you would get this video, and we're at a situation now where you see something online, and you're not sure if it's real or not. Um, and the first thing, and this goes back to maybe you know it's a generational thing, of course, but. You know, back in the day when you got information, you you knew that if someone gave you this information, it was founded on something concrete and tangible. Whereas today you see something and you have to question first if it's real and then go and look into, um, the, you know, the other details on, on whether or not um, it, it's valid or whatever. But the it's 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 impressive. It's fascinating to me how the first reaction is. Is this real? Is this fake? And there must be some ethical repercussion on that. I mean, how do you see that? Well, all that is happening with deepfakes and fake news in general, it's a, it, it's a way first. Fake news have been here, I mean, throughout oh, the history. Sure. Mm -hmm. The only difference is that now we have such an amazing means of communication that we can reach so many people that we were never able to reach before. Uh, before they were more limited. Now you have a distribution channels and very, very quickly, uh, you know, uh, those uh, fake news can uh, go and uh, reach a large number of people. But do you think, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, because you, you also have a specialization in psychology. Do you think that people will evolve to naturally question the content that they see? Or is it going to, you know, keep us in this polarized, society where some think it's true while it's not true i'm thinking for example you know all those uh, all that content that has been surfacing lately with the pope and you have and and it's so well done and you have the pope playing basketball and then you have the pope getting arrested or running away from the cops <laughs> yeah. and, it, and you know at first uh, at first look you're like what's going on you know well, it, it looks yeah. really really good so do you think you know psychologically and as a society we're going to evolve to a world where the content that comes out automatically, we're going to be like, this is not true. Like, are we going to adapt our minds to this technology to know that it's fake uh, and to know how to interact with it? Or are we going to be, for example, like people in my generation questioning it? Uh, like what's going on? Did he get arrested? Oh my God, the Pope is getting arrested. Are we going to evolve as a society or is there going to be this polarization? Um, I'd say I'm cautiously optimistic, but I think it will take time. It will take time. 
as it is now, especially now with those new AI tools, with as deep fake, it's really, really hard to distinguish what's real from what's not real. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you have an, you know, media exposure that is 24 seven coming from electronic media, coming from internet. And there is another thing, you know, uh, we are now, um, there is actually a lot of research showing that many people are now not going even on a portals or, uh, you know, on the official news pages to find the information. They are relying on their social networks and whatever is shared on their social networks. So those social networks tend to be limited, you know, and the people tend to follow and to be friends with people with similar backgrounds, maybe similar interests, similar opinion. Uh, So uh, uh, this is this can create a source of parallel reality where you're going to see only what you want to see. If you're kept in this loop and you're not aware that you have to, you know, um, check the sources, you have to find out about, uh, you know, uh, is this uh, is this genuine? Is this real? And you have to at the same time, you have to know a lot to be able to to distinguish. You have to have developed critical and analytical thinking for that. So I think over the years. This will, I'm talking, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years, (laughs) not one, two, three years. Mm -hmm. It will take time. At the same time, with this development, uh, you know, even now you have some really advanced tool to determine if something is like fake news or is deep fake. But not many people are aware about those tools or they're just not going to care to really, you know, to 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 check. They're just going to go to something that is really sound sensational. They're going to share it on their social media, then other people are going to pick them up. And you you have zero control there on how the news and how things are distributed. Uh, so um, I don't think that uh, in the near future that uh, we will be able to actually control this. So the best thing that I mean, that I'm doing from my side as an educator is to uh, always, uh, you know, talk to my students, uh, to those young people, make sure to check the sources, make sure, think critically, uh, question everything, what you see. Don't just blindly trust whatever you see. But I think over time, you know, when I'm thinking, you know, going back to the history of the Internet and then, you know, back in 1997, 1998, you know, uh, people were, uh, you know, responding to the mail stating my cousin from Nigeria died. Yes. And actually, they were sending information. Yeah, <laughs> there was, was some rich, new. yeah, some rich Nigerian prince. <laughs> you have your rich cousin died, and he left you one million dollars. So please leave me your, you know, number, account, and everything. At that point of time, people trusted in that. Mm-hmm. So we learn. We learn mm-hmm. as individuals, but we learn as a society too. That's so a good point. I think. That uh, your question you're asking from the psychological perspective. Psychological perspective is individual. And we are different individually in a way how we think, in a way how we behave, in a way um, in our, um, you know, our knowledge, our, uh, you know, backgrounds are different. Our experiences are different. So all this impacts our individual, you know, psychological prepositions and how we are going to make assessment of certain things that we 
uh, see. But I think that uh, it should be more of a sociological question because before we have some mutual understanding that's on a higher level that does not come from individual thing. Oh, that's a, you know, that's a fake news. I can recognize it, but it has to be really, really understanding that, okay, this is what is happening, but this is not accepted anymore. The same way as, I mean, no one is going to uh, forward you email. Look what I got. I just uh, inherited $1 million. Right, right, so right. I think over time, especially with the development of, uh, you know, uh, advanced tools. And uh, as this technology is advancing, especially now with AI, the tools that are recognizing what has been artificially created will advance. Right. So uh, the same way as you were seeing, you know, some posted some point label on some social media, this news might be fake, whatever. It might uh, have, you know, the label or the same way uh, how now, you know, you don't even receive those uh, spam emails because they will automatically go into your spam folder. Right, right, right. Right. How do you how do you see generative AI evolving in, in the coming years and what kind of possibilities exist? you know, for people that are in business or in, in any other field? I think that, uh, you know, every um, every technology has this, you know, really, really uh, period when now, uh, you know, uh, generative AI or AI or chat GPT, these are the things, you know, to talk about. And there is a lot of, uh, you know, excitement about that. And what is happening, what we were able to see in many different technologies, including, you know, the Internet and everything, but first you have a really, really, uh, you know, a strong uh, growth. And then at some point, uh, you know, it will not go that well because people are going to realize that it will need some more time for mm -hmm. everything to be properly developed. Right now, I don't know if you're, there is a website called Futurepedia. Every single day, there are new and new tools posted there, new AI-based tools. Uh, today, I think when I checked in the morning, there was like, uh, today it was 26 new tools posted on Futurepedia. Not all of those tools are going to be, I mean, to be able to survive this, you know, period. Mm -hmm. So over time, uh, you know, the best tools and the tools that are not only best, but that are marketed in the best way. So not necessarily the best one, but the one that also have a good marketing, uh, the good brand building, the, uh, the, the, the good, uh, good uh, you know, relationship with, with customers as a brand, as a company, they will survive. The potential, how it will change in a case of marketing, really, really, uh, I think it will completely change the job description of marketers and especially everyone involved in social media marketing. Uh, because what was expected before, um, for example, to prepare content, as I mentioned, prepare a content, everything will be done with the help of AI tools. You know, the same way. I think we can compare it to, you know, statisticians back in 1950s and statisticians now when they had to, you know, kind of hand calculate everything. Mm -hmm. And now you have an amazing software and you can do the analysis that you could never even imagine that it was possible to do now with everything that, that, that we have. So I think the similar thing is happening now. What we have here, these are the powerful tools. Uh, 
We have a high expectations now, but we will see over the time how this is going to, to, to go. But definitely, I mean, it's here to stay and it's already changing uh, how we are working and how we are creating content. It's changing copywriting. It's changing video production. It's changing so many different things. So tomorrow to be able to work in any of those areas, you will have to master those tools. You will have to know how to use them. It, it, it's great because you bring me into my next question. How is this advancement in technology going to affect <clears throat> the workplace? Uh, I'm, I'm, and obviously, again, we're not talking about from one day to the next, but in the next maybe five to 10 years, certainly there are jobs that are going to disappear uh, when everything is being replaced by technology. Um, of course, on the other hand, there's so many other jobs that are going to be created, but how is it going, you know, what kind of impact are we going to see uh, in the workplace? And I'm just going back to decades ago where there, there was always this smooth transition from the old guards to the new generation coming in. Yes, is that yes, exactly. Is that, is, is that going to exist or is it going to be so much more, uh, uh, you know, uh, impactful and distinguished between like what I'm trying to say is that it may not be as smooth as it always used to be. Well, uh, everything is faster now. Time needed to develop new technologies faster. We, you know, sometimes we hear, you know, the time is getting faster. The years are going faster. Everything like the society is faster. So this transition, I think, definitely will go faster. And as you said correctly, this is not something new. This model was happening throughout the history, through every single industrial revolution. You had a major changes in the tools, in technology. Uh, we had uh, back started from 1990s, what was happening in factories, automation, the same things. Uh, what was done by workers was automated by different robotic tools. And again, uh, uh, this fear of job displacement is normal. But at the same time, uh, every what from what we can see historically, that every new technology, every innovation, like the big innovation that changed something in the world, it created new opportunities. So with every new thing, there are new opportunities that uh, we can utilize. So I think uh, what might be the first impact here is that, yes, uh, some jobs are going to suffer. And some people might lose jobs like it was happening before. It is nothing new. But this is why it is so important to understand that sooner, if your job is one of the jobs that might be impacted, and as it is now, every single job might be impacted. If you look at, you know, kind of different tools, you have create AI-based tools. You have creative tools. You have a tools, tool that is composing a music. You have a tool that is creating visual art. You have a tool for translation. So what's the future of translators, for example? Right. How, what's going to happen with that? Uh, you have tools to completely plan your trip. What's going to happen with agencies? Why I would opt for the agency if I have AI tool where I can enter my parameters and it can automatically do everything, find uh, what I need, tickets, uh, booking, everything at, a, at one place. Uh, so, uh, yes, of course, I think this first impact will be harder, but the sooner that everyone realizes that this is something that uh, is probably here to stay, 
and that you have to learn new things and that uh, companies also have to think about how to, uh, you know, not to run immediately into that because uh, the, uh, you cannot, everything that AI does, it's not like the general AI, it's not like super brains. Mm -hmm. <laughs> AI knows what we tell it. Uh, the performance of AI will, uh, especially for generative AI, uh, will depend on the inputs that they're going to get. So how do companies prepare? Um, any, any, any company that wants to establish the foundation for the next maybe 10 to 20 years, what should they be doing today in order to prepare um, uh, or even to adopt this new technology in their, you know, in their way of life and in their way of business? I think the first thing they have to strategically look at their business and to understand, do we really need it or not? There are different type of businesses. In some cases, uh, AI application will be extremely useful. In some cases, I don't know, maybe there, there, there is some place where, where, where uh, it can be useful. But first thing is they have to see. Then they have to see where they are. They have to understand what is happening on a market. Uh, what, what are their competitors doing also? They need to, because always when there is a new technology, you have to think about how am I going to maintain my competitive advantage? How am I going to maintain my market share? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then they have to create some sort of strategy, how they're going, let's say, I'm going to do it uh, uh, within, I don't know, next two years or within next three years. But I would not advise jumping immediately without carefully analyzing and understanding what is happening. Because with as with every single new technology, it can backfire. What you're going to do? I'm going to fire now my complete creative team and I'm going to have like three AI tools creating all my creatives. And then, I mean, uh, still, we need a human input. We need a human touch. And at the uh, same time, again, I am I mean, I have a background in statistics, so I love really to make those comparisons. But you know what? You can have the most powerful statistical tool in the world. And now with big data analysis and uh, you have those uh, rich dashboards and, uh, you know, you, you can have everything automatically analyzed. But unless there is a human brain who's looking at those things, reading, interpreting this, uh, this uh, outputs, uh, connecting the dots, uh, it's not going to be, uh, you know, that useful. Some basic information you can find, but to dig deeper, to understand better, you will need the trained people doing that. Will some, uh, you know, jobs suffer? Yes, they will. But again, another will be open. And this is nothing new. Historically, this is nothing new. This was happening all the time. You know, Nicolina, as soon as I uh, discovered, uh, you know, the chat GPT, the, you know, the, the, that artificial intelligence, the first thought in my mind was, why couldn't this be available when I was in university? <clears throat> you know, and back in the day, we had, you know, there were th these these places called libraries. We had to go and pick up the books and yeah. actually read, do our research, prepare our 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 essay or whatever it was that we were uh, that we were doing. And it immediately, my thought went to the educators and to the teachers, and how do they know that? you know, whatever they're teaching and whatever essay or work they're getting back from their students 
actually comes from their students or from a machine? Uh, is there a, and, and it's a huge responsibility factor from your perspective because you want to make sure that you're putting up people in society that have the adequate education and they don't, you know, quote unquote, cheat. Uh, how, how, how is that in the education industry now? How is this being adopted? And what are you doing with these types of tools that maybe make your job harder or maybe easier? Or how is it in this industry? This is a really, really big topic in academia now. Uh, one of the, the 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 largest now discussions that are that uh, that, that are happening nowadays. Um, when you uh, say uh, how we are going to recognize if something is written by AI, uh, actually uh, turn it in. The you know the the turn it in. This this is the service where usually uh, our students' uh, work is submitted to check for plagiarism. Mm-hmm. So we can see if any their essay or project is actually plagiarized from internet. They were very fast. So recently they introduced uh, AI check. So now when our students upload project, we have it now, and then uh, it's automatically checked for plagiarism and for AI. Wow. Having said that, I mean, that's amazing thing, but that's, let's say, your first step. There has been some evidence so far that uh, it can make mistakes. Right. It's not perfect yet, but it's a signal. But I will tell you one simple thing. You know, as educator, as professor, you know your students. Those students are with you in your classroom. You talk to them. You know what they know. They have midterm exam, they have final exam, they're writing, and you know, they're in a class. So it's uh, fairly easy when you read something to recognize, was this written by machine or by, uh, you know, a ghost writer? And this is a huge issue also in academia, but not that much attention when it was ever paid to that, you know, paying someone basically to write your project or essay. This is a b- bigger problem. Uh, then, uh, I mean, there is an AI, but AI, once when you spend, you probably spend also a lot of time on chat GPT. There is a certain template, there is a certain way, a uh, certain formulation, how chat GPT will give you some something when you ask them, okay, write me 1000 words essay. And after you use, use it for some time and see, you kind of, you can even recognize some of those patterns. Right. But uh, from my side as an educator, when it comes to assessment, it's where we go back to human factor. We know. So this is one of the things. How it can be applied. It really has huge potential to be applied. In uh, starting, I mean, in marketing, I think there is no need to explain. Uh, all all different uh, ways how it can be applied. Uh, even now, uh, in some of my classes, we were uh, using some of those tools. Even before, you had some AI-based uh, tools that can actually create a website within a click. Mm-hmm. So uh, the uh, AI in marketing, it was here um, even before when it comes to data analysis, uh, analytics, uh, uh, you know, uh, targeting, uh, predictive marketing, all those things have been, those tools, AI-based tools have been here. But what happened since November, since ChatGPT, again, uh, as we said, now everyone can use it. 
Before that, you had specialized software. Mm-hmm. And yes, marketeers, we were using it. We were aware of this. But now when you create something that is so simple to use, and uh, when you really, really, really gain an attention of, of, of the global audience, this is what is changing things. But uh, the potential, and uh, I think the higher education and academia as it is, should it's about the time to change. And if this is going to be the driver for change, then excellent. Because you know what? In 21st century, we cannot learn students the same way like we did in 19. Right. It's a a great point. Um, I don't want to take up a lot of your time, Nicolina. Tell us a little bit uh, as we we wrap up um, the exciting things that you're working on right now, where we can follow you, uh, any any, any interesting projects uh, that you're currently working on either in the field of AI or marketing or whatever it is? So um, what I'm working on now is finalizing the semester as a department chairs. Yeah. <laughs> this is the major part of the work as it is happening now. Uh, but also aside from that, uh, I'm working on a several uh, research projects. One is also related to AI and making a, you know, making assessment of uh, was the uh, content created by AI or created by, uh, you know, human. Uh, then some uh, research that is also related to what you mentioned, the fake news. So this is also one of the things that, that uh, we are we are uh, uh, working on now, and uh, several more publications that 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 are now also in preparation. One one of them uh, also related to uh, virtual inter- influencers, and there in fact this is something that is that, that has been fairly fairly new. Aside from that, um, I'm writing the regular newsletter on LinkedIn, talking about the future of marketing. Uh, so covering uh, many of the points that we have discussed today. So you can follow it on my LinkedIn profile. It will be shared later. And aside from that, uh, mostly, you know, uh, trying <laughs> to find some time for uh, personal <laughs> things. And, and uh, uh, aside from uh, all other things that are that are happening now, but hopefully now when, when we finalize the semester and everything, everything will get a little bit slower. I want to thank you again uh, for all the the knowledge that you've shared with our viewers and listeners. Uh, again, uh, all the the links are going to be in the description if you want to follow Nicolina on her LinkedIn page and to to subscribe to her newsletter to get informed on all the beautiful things that she's working on, and to invite you to go over to strategyinternational.org for everything related to Strategy International. Thank you again, Nicolina, for taking the time. I really really appreciate it. Thank you very much, George, for the invitation. It was a pleasure. Thank you, everyone, and we'll see you on the next episode of Strategy International. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Strategy International podcast. Produced by PodMTL for Strategy International. Feel free to subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere fine podcasts can be found. This podcast is made for Strategy International Limited Cyprus. All copyrights reserved. This podcast, audio or audiovisual, may not be reproduced, duplicated, copied, sold, resold, visited, or otherwise exploited for any commercial, scientific, educational purpose without the written consent of Strategy International Limited and its legal representative.